particularly because uh, this morning I'm going to <clears throat> bring you a message that I have called, When You Say Jesus. When You Say Jesus. Of all the thousands of names that are recorded in the Bible from Genesis up to the time of the birth of Jesus, and for that matter, on after that, no one was ever named Jesus in all of that time. His name was chosen by the Father and announced by the Father's angelic messenger. The angel appeared to Mary, announced that she would conceive and bear a son, which shocked and amazed her because she was a virgin. And when she questioned it, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And he went on to say, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus means and is Savior. I have preached over the years, numbers of times, messages specifically on the name of Jesus. I don't know that I've ever done that here, but, but over, the, over the many years of preaching God's Word, I've preached numbers of times just on the name of Jesus. But I've never looked at it with the viewpoint that I have on it today. For me at least, this is a fresh perspective that I share with you today. There was a time when God's servants, Paul and Silas, were arrested unlawfully and were put in jail for the preaching of their faith and the performing of wonders in the name of Jesus. This happened in a, a town called Philippi. And they were in jail anchored with manacles to their wrists and their feet to the wall. And Paul and Silas did what all of us would have done in a case like that. They started to sing and praise God. <laughs> and the Bible says that at midnight they were singing praises to God. And it also says that the other Prisoners in the jail were listening to them. And then suddenly a marvelous, miraculous thing happened. The ground began to quake. And it went on up through the foundations of the jail and struck the jail so mightily that the doors of all the cells swung open. And the manacles that were holding them to the walls 
came loose from the wrists and from their ankles. And not only for these two men of God who were singing God's praises, but for all the prisoners in the jail. And at this commotion, the one who was in charge of the jail came rushing in and saw that all the cell doors were open, that the prisoners were loose. He didn't know what was going on at that point in time, but he did know the consequences of the prisoners escaping. In fact, when they had delivered Paul and Silas and put them in jail, the message was given to this jailer to guard them fast and let nothing happen to them. That is not to let them escape, not to let them, not to let them find a way to get out, get out of the punishment that was planned for them. And so the jailer, knowing in the culture of his time that, that, that he had totally failed in his assignment, these prisoners escaped, he had failed, and he knew that the one consequence of that was his life would be forfeited. There weren't any long drawn out appeals and trials and there wasn't any support Supreme Court or anything else to hold it up. In those days when it happened, it happened. If you were guilty, you were guilty and you were dead and you were gone. And he knew that. And so rather than face the consequences of the disgrace and failure and execution anyway, he drew out his sword and was ready to kill himself because he knew that his life in this failure was at an end anyway. It wasn't anything that he had done but it would be viewed as something he had allowed to happen. But when that started to occur, he pulled out his sword. Paul saw him across the way and said, Wait, don't harm yourself. None of us have escaped. We're all here and we're not leaving. And the man in great rejoicing cried out, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Now, he wasn't talking about salvation as you and I know it. He didn't know anything about that. He was a heathen. He didn't understand. He was, what must I do to be saved from all of this that's about to happen to me? What must I do to be saved from all the consequences that are about to be visited on me? What must I do to be saved in all of this circumstance that has come upon me for which I was just about to execute myself? What must I do to be saved? And Paul had an answer. It wasn't the answer about how to get out of this mess, although that was the consequence of it as well. It was an answer for an even greater thing than that. But you see, Paul had an answer because he knew a name. He knew a name that had more than just an identification of a person. He knew a name that had far, far more than just the revealing of an individual he knew a name that had with it power and authority. He knew a name that was glorious, that was transformative, a name that was above in Paul's knowledge and Paul's spiritual superior knowledge. He knew a name that was above every name. And he knew that if whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, whatever the condition, that he could call upon that name as he had many times. And calling upon that name, there was victory. And if there was victory for him and his partner Silas, there was victory for this man who was in great consternation ready to take his life. Paul declared that name. And I want you to know this morning, my friends, that there is a name that you and I can call in every situation, 
in every circumstance, in every condition, no matter what it is that we face. Some of you walked in here today just like this jailer. You walked in here in great consternation. You walked in here without answers. You walked in here not knowing what's coming next. You walked in here realizing that there are things that have converged upon your life for which you cannot find a solution on your own. Because you've looked, you've tried, you've thought, you've considered, and it isn't there in your own strength, just like this jailer. But I want to tell you this morning, my friend, that there is a solution for you, there's an answer for you, and that answer is for you. And I know it's going to sound simple, it's going to sound rudimentary and elementary, but I'm going to tell you more and more and more why what I say to you now is true. There's an answer for you, and that answer is, say the name of Jesus. Yes. <laughs> say the name that is above every name. Say the name that is filled with all power. Say the name that is full of all glory. Say the name from before the beginning of the end was in the heart of God the Father. And after the end will always be in the annals of history for this world. The name of Jesus is the name that is above every name. Say the name of Jesus. And when you say his name, when you say his name, you're saying more than just a name. Recognize the full impact of what it is. The name of Jesus contains a promise. There's a promise inherent in, resident in, a part of the name of Jesus. And he's, this is because I already gave you this scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 121. You'll bring forth a son who shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There's the promise, the promise that is inherent in the name of Jesus. When you say his name, you're speaking the message of salvation. You're speaking the plan of salvation. You're speaking the answers to when one cries out, what must I do to be saved? All you have to do is say, Jesus. You say, oh, but, but pastor, I'd rather give them the five rules of salvation. I'd rather describe to them the Roman road. I'd rather get the Bible and read it to them. And I'm not disparaging any of that. But I'm going to tell you this. There may be power in a lot of other things, but there's one place and person and name that I know of that contains all the power that's needed for all the answers that we need, and that name is the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. That name contains a promise. That promise is full. That promise is complete. That promise is abundant. I can't tell you all that it does. We sang a song this morning. There's no way to put it all into words. We don't have words to express it all. But I'll just tell you a little bit of it. When you speak that name, here's a part of the promise. I will be with you always. Even to the end of the age. That's a part of the promise. Here's a part of the promise. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, whosoever shall be saved, Anybody, anybody from the worst jail to the worst criminal gang to the most devious and deceptive to the most dishonest and harmful to the most egregious in character from the worst 
even to who the world may consider the best. Because who the world considers the best is not necessarily God's best unless they've come through the way of salvation in the name of Jesus. But I will tell you that this name, this name is powerful enough to save all who are lost. All who are lost. That's why in this promise of that name, the words ring out that the apostles declared, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name. No other name than this. I heard, an ex I heard a discussion this morning. I started to say while we were getting dressed, while Carolyn was getting distressed, I heard it. I, I listened to this TV while I was in the bathroom with her and I was finishing getting ready to and I heard just part of this little program that she had on and it, and, and it was a discussion about whether the name, whether Allah is the same God that we worship. The God of Mohammedism, Allah is the same God that we worship. I'm not going to get into all that. Maybe sometime I will. That's not my point today though. My point today is to tell you that there is no other name. There is no other name. There is no other God, there is no other name, there is no other Savior, there is no other Redeemer, there is no other Deliverer. Jesus is the one, and He is the only one. But, but listen, not only does saying the name of Jesus contain a promise. When you say his name, that promise, the promise is all there. But when you say his name, it's also a prayer. Do you know, you don't have to get down and formally introduce yourself to pray. You don't have to get down and say all those things. I mean, it doesn't whether you're doing what the Catholics do or what the Pentecostals do. Is that what I'm doing? Do what the Catholics do or what the Pentecostals do. doesn't matter. You don't have to do either one of them. You don't have to have anybody's form. Theirs or ours. <laughs> they got one. We got one too. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to have either one of them. Here's what you need to do. When you get ready to pray, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, I say your name. Jesus, I say your name. I say your name, Jesus, because he said, he said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. That's the power of prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Even when you start to get up off your knees and you almost fall, I'll help you stand up. <laughs> Boy, I should know this. It takes a whole lot of faith for me to get on my knees and plan to get up real quick. <laughs> but, but when you call on his name, you're saying a prayer. You, it, does, it, it doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be planned. It doesn't have to be by some particular catechism. It doesn't have to be by some particular order. That's the wonderful thing about it. Because you may be in a very moment of need and not have time to do any of that. All you have time to do is say, Jesus! Jesus! Maybe you get the benefit of, 
of what Peter had by adding a little bit on it. When Peter was walking on the water as Jesus had called him to come to him, and he walked over and got close enough to him. He was far enough away from the boat. He couldn't reach back to the boat. He was close enough to Jesus. He got his confidence. He looked around and saw all the water and the waves, and he started to sink because he got his eyes off Jesus. But when he started to sink, he knew what to do. He knew what to do. He didn't start floundering. He knew one thing. He cried out, Lord, Jesus, save me. Save me. And that was the prayer. And the only prayer that he needed for Jesus reached out and took him and lifted them out of the water. And they walked back to the boat together. There is a prayer inherent in the name of Jesus. Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, Jesus said, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So there's a promise and there's a prayer. And, and, and in the name of Jesus, when you, when you say the name of Jesus, even if you're just saying it somewhere alone and nobody hears you, you're still declaring a testimony. You know why? Because when you say Jesus and you're, you're, you're expressing to him your love for him, your concern for him, your dedication to him, Jesus I'm not just saying this. This is not just a byword, not a, just a slang word to me. I'm crying out to you, Lord, in worship, Jesus. And when I do that, I've got a whole testimony attached to just saying that name. Ever since I came to know him and through all of those years of walking with him, knowing his blessings, being led through difficulties, coming out victorious through trials, all of the circumstances that he's been able to take and break and, and, and loose the bondage and give me freedom as he has you. All of that, when you say Jesus, is a part of that testimony. And you're declaring when you say Jesus, Jesus, what he has done for you. When you say Jesus, hallelujah, that's a testimony in itself. The Apostle Paul knew that. He was on the road to Damascus. He was struck down, you know, by a great blinding light, and he heard a voice that nobody else could understand. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he knew something miraculous had happened. That he knew. Didn't know what, but he knew something miraculous had happened. And he said, who are you, Lord? You are Lord, but who are you? And there was no confusion about it. The answer came back straightforward and clearly. I am Jesus. I am Jesus, the one you've been persecuting. Hard for you to accept, maybe, because you've been destroying those who are followers of my name. You've been trying to squelch everything that was happening in my name. It may be hard for you to accept it, but here's your answer, Saul. You say, who are you? And I'm going to answer you just as the one who struck you down and laid, and laid you in the dust, the one who's caused you to be blind now and you don't know it yet, but when you open your eyes, you're not going to be able to see. The one who's touched you in a mighty, powerful way as you've never been touched before and you know something has happened. You say, who are you, Lord? And I give you the answer, I am Jesus. And, and did, Paul believe, did Saul believe it? Yes, he did. Because the next thing he said was, Lord, what will you have me to do? And I'm, I, I'm not going to tell you the whole story of Saul. I, I just tell you that much to say that there was a testimony instantly, instantly with Saul of Tarsus. Jesus went from being hated to being loved. That's how instantly 
All of this can change in the mighty plan and power of God. That's what constitutes a testimony. When Jesus becomes real, real to you, to a man he was only real to as someone leading a cult that he wanted to destroy. Saul of Tarsus wanted to destroy all that had to do with the name of Jesus. And now, in an instant of time, in a flash of a moment, his life is transformed. And he goes from hating that one that he was trying to persecute to loving that same one, dedicating his life to serve him and walk with him. That's the power of the testimony in the name of Jesus. And ever after that, Paul told it numbers of times. He told it three other times, two other times, three times in the book of Acts alone. He told what had happened to him on the Damascus Road, how that great revelation of the Jesus Christ that he did not know came to him and became known to him personally. And every time he spoke the name of Jesus, he was speaking that testimony and the testimony was he has saved me out of my sin and given me a redeemed life to walk with him and whenever ever after for Paul to say the name of Jesus was to say his testimony same thing with you same thing with you and me I remember today right now I remember the day I first met Jesus the time I first met Jesus I remember where when and how I first met Jesus, and every time I call in his name, as, as, as I do repeatedly again and again and again, I am always reminded, he saved me. He saved me. I know that he did, because I know when it happened, how it happened, and what God did in the power of Jesus' name. And that's a part of the testimony. That's a part of the testimony when you speak his name, my friend. When you speak his name, whether it happened a few weeks ago, last week, last Sunday, whether it happened just recently right down here or somewhere else in your home or wherever it was, some other church, wherever it was, he touched you and transformed you and be, you became a child of God. And when you speak the name of Jesus, you're speaking the testimony that Jesus has saved you, forgiven you for your sins, and brought you out into victory in his name. Hallelujah. 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 You know... I, I uh, there's there's a, a song I started thinking about. I don't know. Every time I get on, it doesn't matter what message I start thinking about, what message I plan to preach. I can always think about some song that relates to it somewhere or other. I've heard so many of them over the years, and been blessed by them so many times. It, there's always a song I think about, and I thought about this song, and I thought, well, I thought I had the words to it, but there were a couple of ones I might not be sure about. So I looked it up. I put it in. I, I put it in a search in the internet. And I, and I put in the, I put in the search bar of the internet, Jesus, oh how sweet. And I was, looking, I was looking for the song, Jesus, oh how sweet the name, Jesus every day the same. And when I did that, a pile of responses came up. And I looked up at the top, you know, where they tell you how many, how many hits they had, how many they found for that. And at the top it said there were 51 million <laughs> I don't have time to check out all of those. <laughs> and I'm only looking for one. So I found the one that the little words were there. And this is the one I was looking for. Jesus, the name of Jesus is so sweet. I love its music to repeat. It makes my joys full and complete. The precious name of Jesus. Jesus, oh how sweet the name. 
Jesus, every day the same. Jesus, let all saints proclaim its worthy praise. His name's worthy praise forever. No word of man can ever tell how sweet the name I love so well. Oh, let its praises ever swell. Oh, praise the name of Jesus. Jesus, oh, how sweet the name. Jesus, every day the same. Jesus, let all saints proclaim its worthy praise forever. That's a testimony. That's a part of the testimony of the name of Jesus. And let me... Uh, let me quickly go on because I don't, I don't think I can conclude this message without giving you this last part. When you speak the name of Jesus, you speak victory. When you say the name of Jesus, you are speaking victory. Even if you don't totally understand it. You may be a new enough Christian that you don't totally understand that yet. But I will tell you, when you speak the name of Jesus, you are saying victory. Because Jesus is the victor. He is not the victim of the cross. He is the victor over death in the resurrection when he came forth from the grave on the third day in the victory of resurrected life, walking out of the tomb and out of death and declaring that he has conquered the last enemy of man. The last enemy that shall be destroyed, the Bible says, is death. And Jesus has already reached out and taken death, clutched it by its throat, held it in a tight grip, and refused to let it go. Death! O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? That sting of death is gone. The victory of the grave is gone because Jesus is triumphant over it all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is the victor. Hallelujah. Victory is in him. Hallelujah. What a thought. Jesus' full salvation brought victory. Yes, victory. Let the powers of sin assail. Heaven's grace can never fail. Victory. Oh, victory. That's a great song we used to sing a long time ago. And this verse, the, the, the chorus goes like this. Victory, yes, victory. Hallelujah, I am free. Jesus gives me victory. Glory, glory. Hallelujah. He is all in all to me. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. So when you... Say the name of Jesus. You speak promise. You speak prayer. You speak his uh, testimony. And you speak victory. All, all in the name of Jesus. All in the name of Jesus. I would be willing to trust that name with anything, wouldn't you? In fact, I have. I have. I've trusted that name for my eternal life. I've trusted that name for my everlasting life. I've trusted that name beyond what I know in this world into what I don't know yet in the next world, in eternity. But I do know this. 
I do know that Jesus is going to prepare a place. And if he's going to prepare a place for me, he'll come again and receive me to himself because he said he would. And that's a part of what I declare when I say the name of Jesus. He's coming back for you, for me. He's coming back for those who are ready and waiting and expecting him. He's coming again. Amen. That's inherent. When we speak, when we say the name of Jesus, we speak his return. He's coming back. He's coming back as the victor to take us to be with him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Stand with me, please. Stand with me. Shout your freedom everywhere. His eternal peace declare victory, victory. Let us sing it here below in the face of every foe. Victory, yes, victory. Oh. And this is what Jesus said to him. Make sure I want to identify myself to